This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. In today's headlines, a winter storm in the U.S. is complicating air and road travel. Over 1,700 U.S. flights were canceled yesterday and thousands more delayed. We look into what areas the storm is affecting and where it's heading next. Former President Donald Trump visits East Palestine, Ohio. He called the federal response to the train derailment a betrayal. Trump also handed out supplies and had a message for the Biden administration. A tragic plane crash in Arkansas. Five environmental consultants were killed en route to investigate the deadly metal factory explosion in Ohio. Members of Congress are launching an investigation into COVID-19 vaccines. They'll also be looking into aspects of the pandemic, such as the origin of the virus and the government's response. Find out what House committee members have to say about it. And are we normalizing helicopter parenting? One expert says society is telling us to constantly hover over our kids, but that we should not listen. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. And I'm Evelyn Lee. Good morning. Today is Thursday, February 23rd. And a major winter storm in the U.S. is bringing some difficulties for people in the northern plains and upper Midwest. Over 65 million Americans are under, under winter weather alerts. Heavy wind and snow forced hundreds of schools to close yesterday and is complicating road and air travel for many. Over 1,700 flights across the nation were canceled on Wednesday and over 6,000 were delayed. And conditions in some places could worsen over the next few days. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the winter storms. The storm knocked out power in some parts of California on Wednesday. Blizzard warnings were issued for the mountains of Los Angeles and Ventura counties, the first issued by the Weather Service since 1989. Interstate highways from Arizona to Wyoming saw closures. The National Weather Service says up to two feet of snow and winds of up to 60 miles an hour were expected in some spots on Thursday. Close to 1,700 U.S. flights were canceled Wednesday. Thousands were delayed. Airports like Chicago's O'Hare and Denver International warned passengers of flight delays and treacherous road conditions. It uh, started snowing last night. The weather the entire time we were here was rather mild up until today. and. Uh, big temperature drop, uh, quite a bit of snow, and the roads were a little messy on the way here. Freezing rain stretched from central Iowa through Chicago and into southern Michigan, coating roads, trees, and power lines with up to a quarter inch of ice. Minneapolis was one of the hardest hit cities in the Midwest. Motorists in the area were told to stay off the roads. The storm is expected to make its way toward the east coast in the coming days. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. While the winter storm sets record in cold temperatures in the northern plains for February, the southeast is seeing the other extreme. A heat wave from Texas to the Carolinas is setting record highs for the month. It's a stark contrast of over 100 degrees. McAllen, Texas reached a sweltering 95 degrees yesterday. From natural disasters to man-made ones, former President Trump was in Ohio yesterday visiting the town that's still on edge after the train derailment that has left some residents sick. And today's Daniel Monahan brings us more. 
Hundreds of people gathered on the road outside of East Palestine Fire Department to welcome the former president. I think it's absolutely amazing. Like, I mean, this has got to be the biggest thing that's happened to this small community. His stop comes as the frustration grows for residents and local leaders. They're concerned about contamination of the community's air and drinking water. The former president describes the federal response as a betrayal while praising state and local officials. Many who gathered outside said they questioned President Biden's handling of the derailment after Trump visited the area first. He came before the actual president did. Like, it would have been nice if somehow we got support from that end, too. During the visit, Trump donated cleaning supplies and 14,000 bottles of water. We're here today in East Palestine to show our love and support for our fellow Americans in this hour of need. And he had a message for the Biden administration. Get over here. Senator J.D. Vance was on site as well. Vance says it's important that the folks of East Palestine stay in people's focus as time passes. You coming up here ensures that we do exactly that. So thank you, sir. It's great to have you. While others saw hope in people rallying together after such a hard time. Hopefully people stay united and get answers and keep pushing for the answers. The Biden White House has defended its response. It criticized Republicans for what it called loosening rail safety measures. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg is now set to travel to East Palestine. The administration shared that the secretary wanted to go when it was appropriate and wouldn't detract from the emergency response efforts. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. And we have some tragic news in connection with another Ohio disaster. Five environmental consultants were killed yesterday when a twin-engine plane went down in Little Rock, Arkansas. They were traveling to Columbus, Ohio, to investigate a recent deadly explosion at a metal manufacturing plant in Bedford. The plane went down near a factory within a mile of Bill and Hillary Clinton National Airport. There were no survivors. All five were employees at a Little Rock-based consulting firm called the Center for Toxicology and Environmental Health. Numerous law enforcement agencies are investigating the crash. The investigation will include radar data, weather information, air traffic control communication, maintenance records, and the pilot's medical records. National Transportation Safety Board investigation investigators will look at human, machine, and environmental factors as the outline of the investigation. Local reports say there were high winds and thunderstorms in the area when the crash occurred. Two TV news journalists were shot in Florida yesterday. They were reporting on a murder scene near Orlando when it happened. The reporter was killed and the cameraman was injured. A 19-year-old suspect was arrested shortly after the shooting. He's been identified as Keith Melvin Moses. He's also accused of two other shootings from the same day that left a nine-year-old girl and a woman in her 20s dead. The reporters were on the scene to cover that story. The two worked for Florida Cable TV outlet Spectrum News 13. A motive has not been determined yet. It's not clear if the two newsmen were targeted because they were journalists. Here's the Orange County Sheriff on the shootings. So uh, the suspect is not saying uh, much right now. Uh, it is unclear if he knew um, they were news media or not. We're still trying to work all of that out. Um, you know, that vehicle was almost exactly in the same spot as the vehicle was from the homicide this morning. So it's unclear why uh, exactly they were targeted. And you know, certainly we're gonna look into that and, and we will definitely let you know. 
The 19-year-old suspect already has a lengthy criminal history. It includes gun and grand theft charges, aggravated battery and assault with a deadly weapon, and burglary. Members of Congress are launching an investigation into COVID-19 vaccines. A House subcommittee will be looking into the vaccine's development, approval process, side effects and other issues. The House Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic, which falls under the Oversight Committee, will be investigating the COVID-19 vaccine. This includes possible side effects, the regulatory process of authorizing and approving the vaccines, and why the vaccines were mandated. Subcommittee Chairman Brad Wenstrup told NTD that the members are concerned about reports on vaccine side effects. We are concerned about that and how are we collecting data and actually reporting on it? You know, the vaccines were initially there for emergency use authorization and I felt that the highest risk people and we did understand somewhat who the high risk populations were and the comorbidities that might exist, but what are some of the adverse effects and are we collecting the data accurately? One goal of the committee is making sure the country is prepared for future pandemics. One committee member, Congresswoman Marionette Miller-Meeks, said, quote, In order to do so, we must have complete transparency in vaccine research, clinical trials and adverse reactions, and manufacturing. Another member, Congressman Rich McCormick, said he's concerned about how the vaccine was encouraged for children as young as six months old. Yet another member, Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis, said, quote, People do deserve to know about the long-term safety and efficacy of the vaccine. Apart from investigating the vaccines, the Republican-controlled panel is also investigating other aspects of the pandemic. That includes the origins of the virus, U.S. involvement in the Wuhan lab, and the government's response to the pandemic. Russian President Vladimir Putin says the country will focus on bolstering its nuclear forces. Meanwhile, speaking in Warsaw, President Biden reasserted U.S. support for NATO. Entity's Kost Temenes has more. According to a senior defense official, Russia will stick to agreed limits on nuclear missiles. It will also keep the United States up to date about changes in its deployments. This despite the suspension of its last remaining arms control treaty with Washington, as well as an announcement by Russian President Putin to boost the country's nuclear forces. Speaking in Warsaw on Wednesday, U.S. President Biden promised the United States will defend literally every inch of NATO. Meanwhile, Putin has reasserted relations with China, in light of a planned visit by Chinese regime leader Xi Jinping. Putin said relations between the two countries have reached new frontiers, raising concerns in Washington that Beijing could provide material support to Russia. According to local media reports, Russia has accused Ukraine of planning a false flag operation in Moldova's breakaway Transnistria region. Lithuanian President Gitanas Nauseda said he urged Biden to seek additional deployment of military equipment by NATO in the Baltic area, including HIMARS artillery or attack helicopters. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres denounced Russia's invasion as a violation of the founding UN Charter and international law. He also decried Moscow's threats about possible nuclear weapons use. Kost MNS, NTD News. Is China's communist regime planning to provide lethal military aid to Russia for the ongoing war in Ukraine? The United States is prepared to impose consequences on the regime if it does. NTD's Daniel Monahan has the story. 
State Department spokesperson Ned Price says the administration has not yet seen the CCP provide Russia with lethal aid, but he doesn't believe the Chinese regime has taken that off the table. Price says the regime would be hit with sanctions if it attempted to further assist Russia's conquest. Providing lethal weapons to Russia for use in Ukraine or uh, systematic assistance with uh, sanctions evasion uh, would cause real consequence uh, in our bilateral relationship. Price added that the response would not be limited to the country as a whole. Uh, we've been clear, we'll not hesitate to target uh, Chinese companies or individuals that violate our sanctions. The U.S. and its allies have long feared the CCP's economic and diplomatic support for Russia could evolve into providing weaponry. Those fears were reignited this month when Secretary of State Antony Blinken suggested the regime could be preparing to deliver such support. Price says the CCP's willingness to bolster Russia's economy and spread Kremlin propaganda internationally demonstrated a growing alliance between the two authoritarian powers, adding that China and Russia were increasingly striving to erode the rules-based international order. The Biden administration believes the CCP is underestimating the resolve of the international community to strike back at threats and that its leadership was miscalculating how sorely it would be harmed should it move forward with providing aid to Russia. Meanwhile, NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg says China and Russia are coming closer and are standing together. And of course, China is one of the few countries that have not been able to condemn Russia's brutal war aggression against Ukraine. The Secretary General called any providing of weapons to Russia a blatant violation of international law. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. The Pentagon has released a selfie from a pilot who was surveilling the Chinese spy balloon as it crossed the U.S. The picture was taken on February 3rd when the balloon was close to Kansas. The aircraft the picture was taken from is a U-2 Dragon Lady. It's one of the only U.S. aircraft that can fly at such a high altitude. Officials say the images showed what the balloon was capable of, and that included conducting signals intelligence collection. The balloon was equipped with antennas and other gear for uploading sensitive information, along with solar panels to power its system. The U.S. Air Force says the U-2 is a single-seat, high-altitude reconnaissance and surveillance aircraft with glider-like characteristics. The planes fly at altitudes over 70,000 feet. Pilots have to wear full-pressure suits, similar to what astronauts use. And coming up, a coal mine collapse in China's Inner Mongolia region has killed at least five people. Rescue efforts are underway to find 48 missing people. And Facebook's parent company has announced that more layoffs are coming. The company cut more than 11,000 jobs last year. Find out what's in store for this year and how many workers will be affected after the break. Welcome back. A large-scale coal mine collapse in China's Inner Mongolia region has killed at least five people, injured six, and 48 people are still missing. The collapse happened at an open-pit mine operated by Xinjing Coal Mining Company. Last year, the company was cited for multiple safety violations. The initial cave-in struck at around 1 p.m. Wednesday, burying people and mining trucks below in tons of rock and sand. State media reported that a mudslide disrupted rescue operations for several hours. About 900 rescuers with heavy equipment are on the scene, and they resumed searching this morning. 
Inner Mongolia is among the country's top coal producers. Like other regions in China, it's been producing at a heightened rate over the past year under a government call to boost local supply. Facebook parent Meta is reportedly preparing for another round of job cuts. It comes as the company announced reorganization and downsizing efforts affecting thousands of employees. The social media company downsized its workforce by over 10% in 2022, which amounted to more than 11,000 workers. The company cited soaring costs and a weak advertising market as reasons for the layoffs. Meta is now reportedly planning to remove some layers of middle management. Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg told investors earlier this month that last year's layoffs were the beginning of the company's focus on efficiency and not the end. The company declined a request for comment. Italy has launched an investigation into Meta, potentially making the company liable to pay over $900 million in taxes. According to Reuters, authorities are investigating if there's a case for user registration to be subject to a tax. A company spokesperson said the company takes its tax obligations seriously and pays all taxes required in the countries where it operates. Starbucks is rolling out a new coffee drink. It's launched the Oleato in Italy. It's a beverage that mixes, of all things, a coffee with olive oil. It has a little too much oil for my taste, but I like it because the milk and the oil can both be tasted distinctly. I don't know how to explain it. There are two flavors, but they mix together and work well together. There are things that shouldn't go together, but it's good, because I always like to taste something new. So for me, it's good. The Oleato drink is made of Arabica coffee and a spoonful of cold-pressed extra virgin olive oil. A really interesting mix. The drink will cost between $5 and $7, depending on the size of the cup. It's only being offered in Italy right now, but the company plans to roll out the beverages in select markets, starting with Southern California in the spring. Japan, the Middle East, and Britain will get their turn later this year. Only in Italy, right? I'm not, not so sure what to think about that. You know, I don't know either. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't drink coffee, but even if I did, I don't know if I'd try that. Well, the founder of Starbucks claims the Oleato will be the next revolution in coffee, so maybe we get, or I got to find out what's behind that claim. Yeah. <laughs> and coming up, we're no are we normalizing helicopter parenting? One expert says society is telling us to constantly hover over our kids, but that we should not listen. Good to have you back. Let go and let grow. That's the motto of Lenore Skenazy when, when it comes to parenting. She's a speaker, author, and expert on free-range parenting. She says today's society is trying to teach us that every aspect of childhood is something bad or dangerous and that parents shouldn't believe it. Instead, she suggests free-range parenting. I spoke to her earlier. We are all worried parents. There's no way to be a parent and not worry. What has changed for us is that our culture is rewriting every aspect of childhood as something terrible. Um, everything kids eat, see, watch, try, lick, hear, read. And so we are, we are more worried than our parents were. And I know this for a fact because when I was five years old, um, my mom let me walk to school. And when I got to the corner where there was some traffic, the, the crossing guard was 10. 
And so this is um, what's different today is that even the parents of 10-year-olds today are afraid to let them often walk to school or cross the street. Even the American Academy of Pediatrics says nobody under age 10 should cross the street by themselves. So it's a rewriting of what is um, what is what, what kids can be competent at and what kids can safely do. And so where the line is, is always shifting in terms of the culture. But developmentally, kids are very ready for some independence starting at five, six, seven. And the idea that nobody should be doing anything till 10, 11, 12 on their own is belied by certainly anybody's childhood who's over 40 and also children around the world. Does that make does that mean that parents who are worried are overprotective? No, it means that they're growing, they're, they're raising their kids in a society that is telling us to worry all the time. It's natural to worry. I'm just trying to remind parents of the fact that kids are safer and smarter than our very, very paranoid culture gives them credit for. You know, that's a point that res resonates with me. Now, I personally grew okay. up in a small town in Germany. I was taking the bus around 10 or even younger to go to the city for fun, walked myself to kindergarten. But, you know, I also understand that big cities are different. And some may argue that times changed. So how should parents handle places like, you know, New York City, where York it seems City. to be more, more dangerous? Yeah, um, it is really hard to gain perspective in a culture that is tr constantly trying to scare us. Um, but ironically, I'll bet I don't know anything about Germany, but I can tell you that in America, the crime rate was going up 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, peaked around 93, 94, and has been coming down ever since. It went up a little again in about 2021 when uh, COVID was hitting, um, but now it's going back down again. So even though it feels like children have never been less safe. Everything is out to get them. Uh, I just said, go look at some FBI crime statistics. Uh, you know, I run an organization called Let Grow. It's a nonprofit, Let Grow, two words, smashed together. Um, if you go there and you click on crime statistics, I have graphs. I mean, I just cut and pasted them from the FBI um, website, but it's really reassuring to see that what we think of as crime off the charts is actually far lower than when most of most of today's parents were growing up in the 80s and the 90s. Um, I also read that you say, you know, parents are often, when you speak to parents, um, they're often in agreement with what you say, but then they go home and things at home tend to stay the same after that. Why do you think that is? Well, it is really hard to be the only parent who says, well, gee, I think my kids need more independence. I'm going to send them to the park. If they go to the park and there's nobody there, your kids are gonna be home in two minutes. It's just too boring. The thing that kids are attracted to is other kids, not just being outside, not just a swing set. And so at Let Grow, we're trying to change the social norms, which means trying to make a lot of people do something at the same time so it no longer seems weird. Like you were, you were taking the bus at age eight, nine, 10, whatever it was, and it wasn't weird because that's the way it was in Germany, in your town when you were growing up. We're trying to do that through the schools. We have a program called the Let Grow Project. It's free, everything we do is free. And it's just a homework assignment that teachers can download or the administrators or whoever, and it says, um, uh, kids have to go home and do something new on their own without their parent. And we have a list of things. You can walk the dog, you can walk to school, you can wait at the bus stop, you can make breakfast for your family. But when everyone in that class or that school or that school district is doing it together, the parents don't feel crazy. 
the kids are comparing notes. The parents are comparing notes. A lot of people are putting, look on, you know, on Facebook, they're like, my kid raked the leaves. My kid, you know, went to soccer by herself. And so the only way to really change a culture is to change a group of people at once. So we're trying to renormalize that kind of cheerful human connection that people crave. You know, kids today are very depressed and anxious. And one of the theories is that as their world has become so small, they're in the back of the car, they're online, they're at, a, at an, organized, you know, an organized activity where somebody is telling them exactly what to do and when this thing starts and when it's over and who's bringing the snacks. That's a micromanaged kind of bubble wrapped life and kids are depressed and anxious. When you open things up again, when you burst that bubble and you say, you know what, I trust you in the world and the other third grade parents are doing the same thing. It makes everybody breathe so much easier. There, there are studies actually being done now on whether you can treat childhood anxiety with childhood independence, because that's what we've taken away. Right, really interesting. Well, thank you so much, Lenore Skenazy. I really appreciate your time today and the good points that you made. Thank you. Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate this. Oh, you know, Evelyn, that is such an interesting perspective she brings up. And, you know, as a kid, I was allowed to go and explore the town and have my freedom. I think it was really good for me. Oh, you know, yeah, I think that's important. Me too, and I really appreciate that because I think it's so important to fulfill that side of curiosity of children, right, at that age. Yeah, and it's, a good, it's good to have a good balance, you know, between keeping them safe and also letting them have their freedom. Yeah, I guess, yeah, it comes down to balance. Um, that's all for today's program. We'd love to hear from you. You can share your thoughts and your story at goodmorning at ntd.com. Write us if you'd like. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.